I appreciate the song we just sang, especially in light of the, uh, where we are in this series on the Ten Commandments, Then and Now. We're on number six, and last week I took a lighthearted approach at commandment number five, which is honor your father and mother. But there's no lightheartedness to this next commandment. It's dark. It's deep. It's a simple, short, sweet commandment. Four words. But they carry a lot of weight with them. And that song, even in the night, God is holding on. No matter what's going on, God is holding on. That commandment is, you shall not murder. It's not something we can look at, really, in a lighthearted fashion. But For instance... April 14th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln was shot and killed by John Wilkes Booth. July 2nd, 1881, President James Garfield was shot by Charles J. Gutierrez in Washington, D.C. He died September 19th because of that. May 4th, 1886, there was a bomb thrown during a Labor Day or a labor rally at Haymarket Square. It killed seven policemen. Many were injured. Uh, police fired into the crowd, which then killed four people. Eight anarchists were accused of what took place that day. February 28, 1890, Kentucky Rep- Representative William Talby was shot outside the U.S. Capitol by Charles Kincaid. Uh, William Talby died March 11th because of that shooting. September 6, 1901, President William McKinley was shot by Leon Zolgaz in Buffalo, New York. He died September 14th as a result of that murder. Uh, September 11th, 2001, the crashing of two hijacked planes into the World Trade Center towers, causing fires and collapse. Also, coincidentally, a crashing of a hijacked plane into the Pentagon, Somerset County, Pennsylvania. The crashing of a hijacked plane into a rural area of Pennsylvania following, uh, following an attempt by the passengers to regain control of that aircraft all of those resulting in the loss of thousands of lives. June 12th, 2016, the shooting rampage that took place in Orlando nightclub in Florida. June 14th, 2017, a shooting attack targeting the Republican lawmakers at a baseball field who were set up to play a game of baseball. Five injured, including U.S. Representative Steve Scalise, one police officer, The attacker was then fatally shot. August 12th, 2017, a vehicular attack on protesters in Charlottesville, Virginia. You know, since 1865, I was doing some research on this, there have been well over 300 attacks that have been deemed as terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. Now, I mentioned Abraham Lincoln. With the knowledge we now have, that's been deemed a terrorist attack. Okay, so since 1865, over 300 terrorist attacks by by many different people. Uh, Doesn't even mention, and this was one of the best statistics I could find, that in 2015, there were 15,696 murders that happened just in America. That, That doesn't count other countries, London, France, anywhere else, just in America. And what I can't wrap my head around is the motivation for these things. This, this is a, a, a dark sermon to write. I told you that. Because when you look at, at some of the things that 
what makes someone want to take someone else's life. And so I started looking at, at some of these murders, some of the things I just mentioned. Some of the, some of the reasonings shocked me. Boredom is, is a reason. It seemed like a good idea at the time. I read that in an article about some young adults that took someone's life. I just wanted to know what it would be like. Or I or we felt it was time to make a statement. My cause needed to be heard. Here's what I do know. Our God created human life. And he holds it as sacred. By definition, murder is the unlawful killing of another human being, usually premeditated. There's a Hebrew word when you read about murder in the Bible, and that Hebrew word is ratzak. It's translated as murder. It's the word used in this commandment to show the contrast between other forms of killing, such as an accidental death. When you read in Scripture about an accidental death, it's not that word ratzak. It's not that same word. Uh, when you read about murder or, or killing in war, it's a different word than the word for murder. When you read about someone who uh, kills someone in self-defense in Scripture or capital punishment or the killing of animals, it's, it's a different word. So when, when you hear, you shall not commit murder, you see, God created human beings in His own image. God God shared some words with Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 that I want you to see. And, and, and since we can all agree, Scripture says that, that God created us in His own image. In a sense, to take someone's life into your own hands, to murder someone is to destroy the image of God. Look at this. Genesis 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be, set, be shed. And what's this last part? Say this with me. For in the image of God... He made man. You see, after the flood, God instructed Noah. He instructed generations after Noah that would follow him. Death is a prescribed punishment for murder. I shared with you some statistics about murder here in the United States. And then I found a short list of uh, folks who were guilty of murder in the Bible as well. If you want to go back and look at these. uh, Cain is one. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Moses, Exodus 2, verses 11 through 12. Moses' murder, before we go to that next one, Moses' murder was premeditated. And people go, no, it wasn't. He didn't get, he didn't get up that morning and say he was going to go kill an Egyptian. No. But you know what he did? He looked left and he looked right. He saw an Egyptian attacking one of the Hebrew slaves, and he was like, whoa, 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 or one of the Israelite slaves. And he looked left and right, and then he killed that man. Premeditation doesn't matter if it's a second or a year. It's the action that follows that makes it premeditated. Um, so, so Moses killed someone. Uh, Joab, 2 Samuel 3, 27. King David, 2 Samuel 11, 14 through 15. He couldn't, he couldn't fix his problem, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. His problem with, with Bathsheba, he couldn't fix that. He called her husband in from war. Go be with your wife. No, I can't. As long as my men are in battle, I'll sleep at your doorstep. Well, in that case, I'm going to write this letter. I want you to give it to the general. The letter said, put Uriah in the, in the thick of the fight and then pull back. Whew. 
Talk about premeditated. Then he waited for the response. Absalom, 2 Samuel 13, 28, just to name a few. And the Apostle Paul, you may have heard of him. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, talk about what he was sanctioned to do by religious leaders. He was given permission to go and kill Christians. Now, for some of those that I just mentioned, as you read the story, what's great about those people, what's great about those stories is they came to a place of repentance. They came to a place where what they had done was, was, was in some form or fashion brought into them or, or made, made their knowledge and, and they repented and God forgave them. But we still find some strong warnings about murder when we look through Scripture. The next one I want you to look at is, is uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Um, this one really gets into uh, specifically the things that, that break God's heart. Proverbs 16 starts out, it says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. The Bible says that God hates and detests hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. You see, murder is something that starts in the heart. Read through any of them. What was Cain's biggest problem? His heart wasn't right. It wasn't right with God. If your heart's not right with God, your heart's not going to be right with your fellow man. It's not going to be right with your family. It's not going to be right with your brother. In Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, the Apostle Paul gives instruction on how we should act when someone has wronged us. See, we live in this entitled generation where because of who we are, we think we're entitled to something. And when we think that, that when somebody hurts us, we're entitled to revenge. We think when somebody acts out against us that, it, that it's on us to, to do something to make it right. But as we read this, we need to remember murder is the end result of anger and bitterness and even unforgiveness that starts and is harbored in our hearts. Look at Romans 12, chapter, uh, verse 14 with me. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And most of us are going, what? No. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. That's that word haughty. We heard that just a second ago. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Verse 19 is tough. Never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And right here is where, if we're reading this, we want to interject some things. But, but, but what about, you don't know what they did to me. Yes, he does. He's God. He knows what they did to you. And he says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I promise you this. Whatever it is you think you can do to get even with somebody that has truly wronged you, God's vengeance, His repayment for an unrepentant heart is far more 
than what you can threaten somebody with this side of heaven. The next verse says, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. But do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot of weird stuff happening in our world today. What about our rights? We need to stand up for ourselves. No, we need to overcome evil with good. The Apostle Paul encouraged the believers in Rome to live at peace with everyone. He said personal revenge belongs only to God. God will take care of it. In 1 John 3, 13-16, the Apostle John wrote that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. It goes back to that heart issue. He said he also wrote that true love is evident in those who are willing to lay down their lives for others. Listen to this. 1 John 3, 13-16. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. He's talking to Christians. You love God, the world is going to hate you. What do we know about people that hate people? They do bad things to the people they hate. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. You passed out of death into life when you became a Christian. And because we love the brethren, he who does not love abides in death. Look at the people around you in this room right now. Turn ahead, look at them. Quit looking at me, look at them. Love them. You may be like, wait a minute, you don't know them like I do. I know, they're family. Love them. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Hate equals murder. In your heart. It starts in your heart. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? I'll leave that up for just a second. I want you to read this verse out loud with me. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Right now, people south of us are about to lose all kinds of stuff. Which means everybody basically north of them, we have world's goods. This is not an appeal to, to your favorite charity or, or any of the different companies or organizations that are about to head down and help people. It's an appeal to who you are as a Christian. Right now, today... You are living in a house that's not yet destroyed. You drove a car that's not water damaged by flood. Part of our response time later is you deciding what you can do with your world's goods because we are about to have all kinds of brothers and sisters in need. And right there in 1 John, Scripture says, if we see a brother in need and we close our heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Some would argue it doesn't because that love's been replaced with hate or animosity or, or apathy. I want to encourage you to hold that thought as we continue on.
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26, Jesus takes this whole you shall not murder thing to a completely different level in the Sermon on the Mount. And you look at Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus said to them, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And at this point, people are going, Yeah, amen, preach on. And then Jesus says, But, and they all went, Oh, he said, But, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Just, just angry. Everyone angry to his brother with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. There's, there's a word there. It's called racha. You had to get racha like that. It's bad. It, it's, you say that word. You call your brother um, um, foolish is another translation of that. Shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And he's not talking about the Supreme Court of the United States, just so you know. You fool. If you say you fool, you shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Man. He continues on. He says, therefore, if you are representing your offering, or if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and at the altar are there, you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar. And go first be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your offering. I like verse 25. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're you with him on the way to, so, that, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown in prison. <coughs> Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Make peace with people that you have a disagreement with, is what he says. Even if you get angry with your brother, even if you harbor something against them in your heart, Jesus says you're guilty of murder. Not only, it's, it's not just that God doesn't want your... Let me say it this way. If you're angry with somebody and you bring your offering, God doesn't want your angry offering he doesn't want your angry money. He doesn't want your angry offering. It's more important to God that we reconcile with one another than, than that we give an offering with bitterness or resentment towards someone in our heart. And later in the same sermon, Jesus says with verse 38, he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Give to him who asks. If someone sues you, give him more than what he asks for. I don't know about you, but I like the whole eye for an eye part better than that. I mean, we're just going to be transparent and honest. So it's hard to do those things. The, the go the extra mile part, Roman law back then said that if a soldier stopped at your house and said, carry my stuff, you had to do it for a mile. Jesus says, no, go two miles and be happy to do it. Turn the other cheek. But my favorite conversation that Jesus had about murder... Happens in John chapter 8. 
verses 1 through 11. And it's the one that con- concerns the woman who is caught in the act of adultery. Listen to what this says, John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple. What did Jesus normally do when he went to the Mount of Olives? Prayed. So he went to the Mount of Olives, and then it says, Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down, and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, They brought her right into the middle of church, if you will. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. In the very act, they say. Now in the law, we love love to cite the law. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this and testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus, he stooped down with his finger he wrote on the ground. I wish right here, Scripture told us the words that he wrote. So he wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground again. And the Bible says, when they heard it, They began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the court. Now, picture this. He's teaching in the temple. And these men drag this woman in. They start to incite a riot at church, basically. It's what the law says. Kill her. What do you say? He wrote some things on the ground. He said some things to them. They still persisted. He wrote some more things on the ground. He said some things, and by the time he finishes speaking, when he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone at her, everybody left church. Just Jesus and the woman standing there in the temple. And then he says to the woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. See, Jesus shuts down this angry mob who was ready to murder. They had already premeditated in their hearts and they were hiding behind a law that Jesus had already uh, discontented, discounted when he spoke in Matthew chapter 5. And they come in hiding behind this law wanting to justify their action of murder for a woman who was caught in sin rather than offer her grace. And Jesus upended the whole thing. And he shuts down this angry mob by by writing a few words in the sand and by simply saying, if any of you are without sin, then cast the first stone. Go ahead, murder her. I would like to think, because I'm an eternal optimist, I would like to think that the people who left actually left with a changed heart. But as we look deeper into the life of Christ, we see it's some of those same people that later crucified him or, or hollered for his crucifixion. And so the reality is they probably didn't. You see, there are some things like war, self-defense, capital punishment. They're not prohibited by the Sixth Commandment. When the Bible refers to death in these instances, it uses a different word for killing and being killed. 
that word is not the same as murder. Those men bringing this woman in, they weren't just there to, to set a standard to make. They were there to, to murder her and to, to hide behind an old law and to justify it and to try to trick Jesus into agreeing with their justification. They were trying to get him to also essentially commit murder. If we can get him to just agree with this, then in his heart he's murdered because that's what he said in his last sermon. And then he can't be who he says he is. See, in my opinion, what we need to take away from the sixth commandment of thou shalt not murder is simply this. Our God values life. He wants his people, you all. He wants us to preserve the lives of those that he values. He wants us more than anything to love our neighbors as we love him and as we love ourselves. This is an important factor that we need to be mindful of when we, when we think about our anger. When we think about maybe justifying something that we see on the news where another human life is being considered. Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 through 22. I read that to you earlier. He makes it very clear that hatred for our neighbors is the core cause for murder. It's what settles in your heart. It's that same hatred that's forbidden by this commandment. And as with breaking any of the other commandments, murder is the result of forgetting commandment number one. I'm the Lord your God. You have no other gods before me. Because essentially, when you're taking someone else's life into your own hands, you're saying that you know better than God as to whether they should live or die. And no matter how it ends up, murder comes from the heart. From the human perspective, murder is the physical act of taking someone else's life. However, when we consider how God defines murder as any thought or feeling or deep-seated hatred or malice against another person, Cain was guilty of murder before he ever killed Abel because of his heart. In other words, it's more than just a physical act that constitutes murder to God. He tells us that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, that no murderer will have eternal life abiding in him. When we harbor hatred in our hearts for someone else, we've committed the sin of murder in God's eyes. And, and I bring that up because we're, we're good at, at putting fluff to things. Bible says I got to love that brother. I don't have to like him very much. You can't do that. What's the opposite of love? Hate. What hate? What's the Bible say hate is? See, when we harbor hatred in our hearts for others, we've committed sin of murder in God's eyes. The disdain towards other people never has to be demonstrated outwardly because God looks into our heart. He knows where your heart is and he knows the truth in your life. And as Christians, as human beings, we know that unjustified killing is wrong. God's word is very clear on this point. You shall not murder. He didn't have to go into a whole lot of other detail about that. And what God says, we must obey. Or we face the consequences on days of judgment. Going back to what we started with this morning. Some of those murders, the acts of terrorism, some of the statistics that I shared with you. That comes from people being trapped in a place where, for whatever reason, forgiveness is not allowed. 
whatever had been done to those people in their lifetime, instead of allowing forgiveness, they, they cultivated hate and loathing. And, and the problem is, we, we put ourselves in a prison when we refuse to forgive. So my question for you as we come into our response time this morning is this. What is it that you need to come out of? What is it that you need to leave behind in order to be sure that you are kind and compassionate? How do you plan to battle the selfish side of human nature that says, I know more than God, to be a better reflection of God? The murders, the things I mentioned today, they take planning. Premeditation. I didn't want to end this message on a dark note, and I got to thinking about something. I th- you know, instead of harboring bitterness, and instead of planning retaliation on someone, instead of planning for death or evil, what's the antithesis of these things? In a word, it's love. So how can we as Christians in Huntsville, Alabama, plan for love instead of thinking about somebody getting what they deserve or thinking about how we can justify our actions of ugliness towards others? How can we... How can we plan for something good? We can plan for growth. We can plan for kindness. Here at Huntsville Christian Church, I want us to plan for love. That's the, it's kind of the point of the CPR groups that I've been talking about. They're Christ-promoting relationships. The end result is as, as, as we get together in groups, we encourage one another. As we leave those groups, we're encouraging other people to come to know who Christ is. Let's, let's be that reflection. Let's plan for love. I have some opportunities for you. Some connection opportunities. Some community growth opportunities, if you will, that can help us be planners for love instead of people who are going to settle in on maybe hate or hurt feelings. At the Downtown Rescue Mission, we're collecting soap right now. It's such a simple thing. A bar of soap. At the Downtown Rescue Mission, they need folks that can serve at graduation meals. They need, they've, got, they've always got a wall that needs painted. They've always got something that needs picked up. All you have to do is go down there and sign your name on the guest log and say, hey, I'm here to help. And they, they will find something. They always need some help setting up clothes. They always need some sort of help. I mentioned hurricane relief. It's just around the corner. Um, if you're looking for how to get involved in something like that, I recommend IDES. We've been working with them for over 50 years. I recommend Samaritan's Purse. They're, they're, making, they're setting up opportunities where once you get there, they take care of everything else. You just show, you go on their website and you say, hey, I want to work. It's opportunities for love. One of, the, one of my newest opportunities I want to share with you about community growth is our friends from uh, Kids to Love. We've had Lee Marshall here. She shared with us. They've got a new project called the Davidson Farm. And they have a house, they have property, and they have house parents. And soon that house is going to be filled up with young ladies that need a new start, if you will. And they want it to be more self-sufficient. They, don't, they, they want to teach these ladies things. They've got a big garden spot. Big garden spot. So it's time to find us somebody that has, you know, a tractor and a Disc, whatever that thing is on the back plow. It's all those technical farming words that get me caught up. But, but with the Davidson house, they've got a large area that they want to garden. Well, as you know, you start now so you can have something really good in the spring. There's opportunity there where we can go 
and, and we can plan for growth literally and figuratively. Physical growth and spiritual growth for these young ladies that are going to be there. Little things like that. The result will be the antithesis of you shall not murder. Because it will be evident that we choose to love. There are many ways to do that, to get involved. As we come to our response time this morning, I want you all to stand with me. And we're going to do a responsive reading. And as we do this responsive reading, I want you to think about what God would have you do. You see, the reality is, I don't think anybody in this room really ever wants to murder somebody. I'm pretty sure you all are are good people and you've never wanted to murder anyone. But I do know that most of us get angry. I do know that from time to time we all have been guilty of harboring bitterness towards someone. And I want you to think about how we can change that. How you can change that in your heart. So that we can go and plan for growth. We can go and be a reflection of Christ. We can go and do good things that are opposite of what we've talked about here today. Will you do this responsive reading with me? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Let me continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. That's one of my favorite ones, by the way, offering a sacrifice of praise. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. Amen. It's been great to be here with you all this morning to worship with you, to share with you. But now it's time to go. As you go today, go thinking about the things that we talked about this morning. Think about the fact that our God goes before us and that if we're to be a reflection of him, the things we put in our heart that we'll show through our actions. So let's start with love. Don't harbor anger. Don't harbor bitterness. Don't harbor things that even get you close to something as dark as murder because of your thoughts or because of your pride. In short, to make sure we don't break the sixth commandment, we need some commandment. We need to be willing to forgive quickly and to forget just as quickly. Because it's that whole, well, I can forgive, but I won't forget thing that starts us harboring bitterness or anger in our heart, which then puts us not being a reflection of Christ in our families and our communities. Will you sing this last song with us?
to complete it. We'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Have a good week.